every Wednesday. Oye Oye Podcast. Open your eyes with Alberic Barrett and Alonso de Yanis. Hello and welcome again to uh, Oye Oye Open Your Eyes podcast here in Spotify. I, we hope you uh, actually had a good Christmas holidays. Uh, it was awesome uh, for us. And we came back with 100% uh, energy. 3,000% of energy. 3,000? Okay. Let's well, see. 1 million uh, kilowatt per hour <laughs> <laughs> of energy reloaded. Renewable energy. Renewable energy. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> uh, well, um, we hope that you had an awesome time with your family or friends or uh, dearest ones. And um, well, here we are again starting a new year. And, um, and before, before we talk about agriculture... I have to... Uh, he just cut my inspiration. I was trying to say something about Christmas and he just cut my inspiration. But go on, Alvary, go on. <laughs> okay, well, uh, last time, if you remember, uh, we were talking about uh, Becquerel per liter to talk about radioactivity. Uh, and actually, I made a big mistake because um, uh, the human body is actually not uh, of 31 Becquerel per liter or kilograms which is the measure we can find in some water courses uh, near nuclear power plants. But it's actually 0.01 becquerel per liter or kilograms. And this is the reason why, if you remember well, the 30 uh, becquerel per liter information that you can find in some Greenpeace statement is likely to worry people who actually doesn't know the limit of 10,000 becquerel per liter for drinking water according to the World Health Organization. So I wanted to make that point quite clear because, I mean, we don't want to misleading you. So now... Thank you very much for, the, for that... Uh, um, Highlight. <laughs> for that, yeah, for that um, information about uh, your mistake. <coughs> your mistake about... Um, That uh, coughing was on purpose, of course, uh, of uh, last uh, of our last podcast of our last year. Um, and yeah, today we are going to talk about agriculture, glyph glyphosates, and seeds. And, exactly. Uh, and so there's a hard topic. <laughs> hard topic, indeed. Mm -hmm. So I think we're going to start with uh, an historic uh, review on our agricultural uh, model. Um, so, well, to understand well how we came toward the industrial uh, agricultural model, we have to come back at the beginning of the 19th century with the appearance of slaughterhouses, uh, which will uh, actually uh, uh, be the reason uh, that inspired uh, Fordism uh, a few decades later, of course. Um, so at that time, livestock farming actually took a new aspect for three main reasons. Uh, visual pollution, because, uh, well, it began to shock people uh, seeing dead bodies of animals in the street. Olfactory pollution, also because animals were killed, emptied and cut up in the city itself. Um, and, of course, the need uh, to obtain a more healthy meat for public uh, and health reason. So, um, after the Second World War, 
We didn't know what to do with the nitrate waste from weapons factories. But when we actually recall uh, the von Liebig's discovery in uh, 1836, demonstrating the role of nitrate in plant growth, well, that topic came back on the table and the reorientation of the military industry towards agriculture became quite evident. So, here was born the Green Revolution, which is only green by its name. So we reused the nitrates to make fertilizer. We cut down trees over a period of 20 years. Land consolidation led to the disappearance of 750,000 kilometers of edges just in France, which is 18 times the world tour. And we replaced them with burbot wire coming from actually the trenches, and we recycled the tanks into tractors. While the mustard gas used during the war is recycled into insecticide, at the same time fungicide and herbicides appear. Even if at that time plugging techniques were already questioned by some scientists, since the soil has always been worked superficially and were therefore still rich, the addition of nitrates, the use of pesticides, and the introduction of monoculture had indeed exploded the agricultural yield at that time when food insecurity was still an important issue in Europe. For many observers, the initial objective of the Green Revolution promoter was based on geopolitical concerns related to the Cold War, to feed the population of third world countries in order to maintain social peace and reduce risks. The Green Revolution has weakened socialist movement in many countries, in India, Mexico, and the Philippines. Its solution, presented as essentially technological, replaced agrarian reforms whose objectives were not limited to concerns about the level of production. Thus, the political choice to favor an essentially technical option had very significant social effects by stopping the redistributive movement in many countries. Therefore, today, we live in a globalized economy dominated by industrial agriculture. And while we actually produce enough food for 12 billion people, around 4 billion suffer from undernourishment while an increasing part of human beings are dying of malnutrition because of terrific diets. I think we needed to address this subject, right? I think so. I think so. And actually, about um, the Green Revolution, for example, uh, with, um, with the um, agriculture or agrarian reforms you are, you are saying, uh, I recall, for example, while studying um, at law school mm -hmm. in Mexico, we studied uh, the agrarian reform of the 60s yeah. and then the agrarian reform of the 80s. And uh, yes, what uh, you're talking about is actually the way uh, more developed countries start like pushing legislative process in uh, underdeveloped countries to uh, make those countries more available or more uh, reachable for uh, agricultural uh, exploitation industry, yeah. industry. Because of um, many of those countries, uh, we need to have, we need to make this clear, uh, are poor or were poor at that time. Mm -hmm. Many developed countries after the war were looking for more uh, or um, more rich in uh, nutrients uh, lands 
to make them uh, grow their own food supply that they couldn't make in their own countries of in their own countries of origin because uh, everything was devastated. So um, yeah, I mean uh, yeah, and plus you know at that time also it was the beginning of the decolonization yeah, of many countries of many countries. So we and still socialist movements were at the peak of the uh, yes, but still we kept our industries there. And we still have a lot of... Yeah, because, for example, uh, uh, Mexico, before going into the North American Agreement Treaty, mm -hmm. uh, landowners were cultivating their, uh, their uh, food with um, traditional ways. After uh, the North American Treaty, uh, many different technologies start to arise and uh, capitalism and neoliberalism start making agriculture a thing you know i think for their own purposes and um the use of nitrates start to evolve and start to uh pollute the ground and the soil and um it started to be a little bit tricky yeah yeah actually the npk solution for to plant growth uh worked well and it's still working but it's actually few parts of the um, molecule that plants really need to grow And, um, well, it's, uh, it's part of the problem because farmers actually lost their independency um, and they are heavily in debt because of all those uh, mechanisms they have to follow. Uh, having tractors, buying inputs and seeds is very hard. And if you take into account also the price of lands, it's even harder for them. Like, for instance, in France, people, farmers, have to create cooperatives. With this mean, they can afford some tools to work the soils or some inputs, but still, they are surviving. They try to survive, and they're relying on European subsidies. It's crazy. It's crazy, yeah. I mean, they're feeding us... And because of the, the concurrence, the competitivity, they are relying on European subsidies that are actually always arriving late, or most of the time. I mean, if you're not a big one, a huge uh, productively farm, you will have some delay before you receive your, your money. And this is actually one of the reasons why one French agriculture is actually killing himself or herself every two days in France and it's almost the case you know everywhere um, so um, yes I mean <laughs> there's a lot to talk about on there's this, a lot on to talk about on this topic mm -hmm. I think that we will need um, I, I don't know like more podcasts to fulfill the expectation of our audience <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah I mean um Uh, one of the problems that uh, arise with uh, this green revolution and with the uh, growing population in the world is uh, food sover sovereignty. Mm. I mean, are we able to fulfill food demand of the world's population? I mean, what the question here is, are the use of uh, new technology process, pesticides, herbicides justified for the food demand of the people, of the, um, I forget how many, 12 billion people you said before. Yeah. 
It's actually because we how can we how can we um, yeah how can we uh, find the balance between our food supply and the environment? Well, one of the key issue is actually to diverse our uh, agricultural models, so we can make turns with the seeds we actually plant and grow. Uh, we can let vegetation like seasonal. Yes. Seasonal also less like a, a vegetal coverts on the ground so they can actually absorb the CO2 uh, and other materials to feed the soils and that, that they could actually live, uh, let the, the organic uh, life beneath the soil, the ground, uh, develop itself. Um, and of course, if we keep using most of the land today, to actually grow food to feed cattle, this is not sustainable. Today, 65%, around 60 or, uh, well, 70 or 75, it's more 70 uh, percent of the land we use are actually used to grow food that we are going to give after to cattle. And it's a very not efficient way to process food because it requires a huge amount of land and water to grow that types of food. And most of those food, they are GMO. Even the, 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 actually the food you give to uh, European cattle are GMO because it's forbidden for human consumption, but not for the animal's consumption that you will after consume. So this is a kind of hypocrite, I think. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know about it because lots of people actually don't know about the bill of specification of conventional agriculture. And it's actually the same for organic agriculture. Perhaps that here, most of our audience, I don't know, uh, don't even know that it's actually legal to use pesticides in organic agriculture. Perhaps they don't know the difference. Well, what I can explain is that the main difference between those two is that in a conventional uh, agricultural system, we put pesticides and inputs in a preventive way. It's preventive application and application after we actually grow the... Can you explain the, the preventive uh, thing for our audience? Well, if you even if you if there is not apparently uh, um, a threat, yeah, a threat or uh, late in the growth process, you will still put those inputs and those pesticides, uh, and it's exactly um, the opposite for organic. Organic is generally speaking, you will put pesticide, and most of it are actually herbicides you will put them in a, prevent, in a creative way. So if you actually sow a threat, then you will use it. But of course, controls are very hard. So you can have an organic farmer that, is go, that it will go far beyond the bill of specification and, I mean, respect the soils and all the, the biodiversity as much as possible and it will be wonderful. And you can have also bigger producer that are just going to follow the limits of the bill of specification and then when will you when you will arrive to the supermarket you will have no indication of what type exactly of technique the farmer that produced that food is using yes 
and this is a big issue too. And so the main difference between the pesticide we use between organic and conventional agriculture is that the molecule in organic use is natural, whereas the molecule of pesticide in conventional agriculture are synthetic. But until today, there are no scientific studies saying that a natural molecule is less harmful than a synthetic one. So that's also something that people should know, you know, when they buy food. And I'm not trying to undermine organic food, but the best thing to do is to eat seasonal and to go to the open market, talk with the producer, and then cook a little bit more than some people, most of the people of our age are actually not doing. Referring to, they prefer to buy um, already meal, cooked meals, yeah, fast food and stuff. Mm. For sure. For sure. So what is going on? I mean, uh, what do you think about um, how agriculture is uh, affecting climate change? I mean, does it, uh, do you think it's um, linked in a big way or do you think... Me, for example, I think that uh, uh, agriculture in industrial ways, it's affecting a lot more than we believe. Yes, it is. Um, I mean, agriculture itself uh, is a big issue because we need land to grow food. We know there is a bad uh, redistribution of food today, but we also know that we have competitivity because of uh, urbanization. In France, we lost around, I think, six times the surface area of Paris every year. And worldwide, it's the surface of Belgium that we lost every year because of urbanization. This is one of the leading causes of the sixth max extinction of the biodiversity. People have to understand that, has to understand that even though there would be no climate change, the sixth max extinction would be still happening because of how we artificialize the soils, the nature, and because of how we uh, cut the land you know, divide them in parts. And so those animals, they cannot actually... Cross. Yeah, cross and migrate and all, and all of that. So this is an issue. The appearance also of, um, uh, uh, you know, agro, uh, agro fuels uh, with uh, palm oil and other stuff is also a threat to the use of land to, to feed ourselves. So there are many ways to act, um, but in that matter, it's a threat to climate change. But directly, I mean, directly in uh, agriculture, uh, uh, agricultural um, practices, we already know today that agriculture is about 14% of uh, GHG emission of greenhouse gases worldwide. And well, this part is obviously increasing, even though if you take the whole uh, chain of uh, production from agriculture, it might be more. So there are a lot of um, 
action to be taken, but most of the greenhouse gases are coming from uh, beef. I mean, cows and yeah. the methane they are re releasing because methane is actually 30 times more uh, uh, powerful than CO2 in terms of greenhouse gases effect. Um, so, of course, yes, um, there are, I, I think not everybody is actually taking, I mean, really... Uh, aware, aware, aware of the situation. Yeah, You're not aware of the situation. Mm. And so the more we consume actually meat, um, and we consume meat because we have energy, we're talking about nuclear energy uh, before, um, the more we're actually making pressure on the environment. And so this is why I think it's quite wise to reduce our consumption. Um, and I mean, even the World uh, Health Organization uh, said that we should not go over 500 grams per week. Well, I know people that are eating meat every day. Yeah, every I mean, year. I used to eat meat every day at Mexico. And me too, also. So, I mean, there are things to change. I mean, it's not uh, a world culture that we should actually change, you know, but uh, we are facing the biggest threat to humanity. When we are talking. the first generation to be aware of climate change and the last one, and the to, last do one to do something about, about it. it. Yeah, exactly. So, yes, I think there's a big, big topic also about climate change. In um, agriculture. Yeah, I mean, related to agriculture. So um, let's hope that we're what, that we will be able to change it. And I mean, I don't know if you if you saw that, but uh, recently a report has been released by uh, France Stratégie. It's a think tank that is actually linked to the prime minister, uh, even though the reports they are producing are not uh, mandatory. I mean, they are not. Uh, uh, they cannot like being enforced, um, but the, the report is um, called Make the Cap a Lever for Agroecological Transition. And I really suggest you, if you have time and also uh, to the audience interest, yeah, uh, I suggest you to, to, um, to, read, to read it because it's a very good uh, report. Um, like I can state some of the uh, option uh, an action it actually uh, suggests, uh, like implementing environmental taxation based on the polluter pays principle. That's amazing. That's amazing because right now many legislations have uh, these um, environmental taxation like undercover with some other taxations and uh, payment for ecosystem services. But uh, at the end of the day... Uh, uh, in many underdeveloped countries like India, Thailand, Philippines, Mexico, Brazil, Colombia, many African countries that are uh, producers of many of the seeds and food uh, people from all the world is uh, having in their tables, uh, corruption is present. And corruption is present avoiding big companies like Monsanto, for example, to pay this actual taxation that exists in many countries right now. Yeah, but as we saw uh, in uh, last December during the, the negotiation uh, of the CAP25, we had also lobby to prevent that from happening because uh, 
uh, countries like Poland didn't want to actually make the transition and set uh, objectives and goals to reduce their uh, CO2 emission because, well, they have a, a big use of coal in the electricity production. Um, so, of course, there's, uh, there's uh, corruption and stuff, but I think that if we developed countries cannot settle those kind of goals, even though we actually we actually benefit a lot from those countries and we are still benefiting a lot from the, the resources of those countries uh, or the, the, the work, uh, the work uh, st strength of those countries, uh, well, we cannot ask them to change, you know. So we have to take strong action and we can. We could actually take them. But I think that perhaps we need one country or two to actually lead the way for the other. I don't think that the European Commission is going to uh, fulfill those goals. I mean, they want strong goals. The European Commission and many of the countries of the European Union are trying, trying in their own country, but not in the, uh, not taking into account their activities in other countries. Yes, but they also believe that it's possible to actually decouple economic growth from growth of CO2 emission. And that it's a fantasy. I it's mean, a huge fantasy. We're relying at more than 80% on fossil fuel. So when, I'm, when I read a text from the European Union stating that we're going to uh, reduce inequalities and develop at the at the same time grow topical yeah. topical dreams exactly yeah and uh, make a better competitivity etc i mean it's it's utopic i mean we cannot do it and we will not so uh, there are there are things we can say in different level but regarding agriculture we could also limit the use of uh, those instruments based on quantities actually and quota um, we could also tax greenhouse gas emission from the agricultural sector directly um, and also systemize um, the, conditionality, the conditionality sorry, of aid on observed results and on the basis of this indicator using all available information technologies because we have more and more technologies actually uh, I mean useful technologies because we also have technologies I would call Useless technologies like, <clears throat> like, like uh, automatic uh, doors, uh, doors, yeah, <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, but I, I mean, lots of different captors, connected headphones, those kind of stuff. I mean, we also, we also, we already know that the the uh, the all the resources the Earth can. Produce. I'm sorry, Instagram. I love you. <laughs> We also we already know that the, all the resources the, the Earth can actually produce in one year uh, <clears throat> are consumed more and more, I mean, sooner every year. And we're still developing the economy. Like if we had uh, the Earth as uh, the size of Jupiter, which is not the case. Which is not the case. <laughs> <laughs> which is not the case. I repeat. <laughs> um, and also, I think something that would be very interesting would be to tax pesticides 
It's something that must be done. And inputs too. Even though, and perhaps we could talk about it later, in some techniques, uh, glyphosate can be useful to prevent uh, and preserve soils. It's uh, uh, especially the case in uh, uh, conservation agriculture. But it's another topic. <laughs> and we should also, I think, tax antibiotics. Because there's... Oh my God, antibiotics is a huge, huge, huge topic that we need to discuss in another podcast because, oh my God, antibiotics are something huge for yes. public health. Yeah, yeah. I mean, whether it's about human health or whether it's about uh, animal uh, agriculture, yeah, most, most, of, most of it, most of anti antibiotics are actually produced for animals, but we still use way too much of them. And uh, perhaps if you live in the countryside and that you have an old doctor, um, you can see that every time you're uh, just a little bit sick, they give, give you, you antibiotics. Yeah, that's a huge. huge that's a huge, huge discussion. We we must we must do in another podcast exactly. because uh, I have a lot of things to say about uh, antibiotics. Uh. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I hope you will like. Yeah. Um, and so now uh, moving to glyphosate. Glyphosate. Oh my God, uh, this topic. Um, I'm going to be fruitful with all you guys that, that are listening. Uh, I was not very into the uh, agricultural um, topic. It's more the average thing. As, as you can notice uh, from minute one until now. But I stopped reading about um, glyphosate because uh, he suggested, and uh, it's shocking. It's shocking uh, <laughs> this um, chemical that is being used as a herbicide. Uh, for all the guy, for all you that don't know what glyphosate is, like me, some months ago, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a it's a chemical component that um, contains herbicides and um, is well used in um, Europe, uh, in farming, in forestry, in parks, public spaces and gardens. Well, in Europe, America, Africa, Asia, in all the five continents. I think that uh, if we explode the moon, people will, uh, <laughs> will use it there too. Um, Glyphosate uh, containing herbicides are also crucial uh, to the production of genetic, genetically modified uh, herbicides resistant crops. Uh, in recent years, a number of scientific studies have raised concerns about glyphosate's safety and there has been called for glyphosate containing herbicides to be banned. Um, there are some countries that already ban ban um, glyphosate, but the, the struggle is real, people. You know, the struggle is real. A research by Friends of the Earth has detected glyphosates reduced in the urine of 44% of people tested from 18 different European countries. So that's almost a half of the of 80 different um, European uh, population. Glyphosate is present in many cereals that children eat. Oh my God, I mean, many, 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 many cereals that people eat. I mean, I just said children because it's like chucking, you know, your children is eating a cereal with glyphosate, but you are too, okay? 
<laughs> but I just want tomatoes to, and yeah, potatoes. But, um, but I just wanted to be a little bit dramatic, you know, my style. Um, ingredients, for example, like wheat and oats, are commonly sprayed with glyphosate as a drying, as drying, sorry, agent before harvest. Um, this practice is the most common and likely pathway for the presence of glyphosate in the food system. Um, Also, uh, even uh, Ben and Jerry's ice cream, um, sorry for the commercial, got uh, some uh, glyphosate in their own ice cream and uh, they um, released, uh, they made a press release and they stated that um, they will uh, stop um, using um, the use of uh, food that is uh, contaminated by this uh, herbicide. So uh, the glyphosate chemical name is N. Phosphonomethyl glycine. So it's uh, kind of difficult. I will not repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> And um, its main effect is to block an enzyme that plants need to make amino acids and proteins. So when this enzyme is blocked, uh, plants die within a few days. And it's And it's the problem here is that it's not only uh, glyphosate it's by its own. It's um, combined with other chemical ingredients for more intense results. So... Uh, We are eating, we are harvesting many uh, food that has not one chemical, but a lot of, the, of chemicals that are um, a big prejudice for, um, prejudice, um, a big damage for our, for our, for our system, for um, health, health, um, I don't know, health body, health issues. I, you understand me, guys. Uh, So countries that already bind glyphosate is um, since the International Agency on Research of Cancer started making some analyze. Uh, well, three big countries that are kind of important in um, agriculture stuff is Belgium, Argentina, and the Netherlands. Um, so um, other other um, uh, Uh, big uh, names in the in Europe that already ban the use of the glyphosate is uh, Austria that uh, in July 2019 prohibited. Um, Germany announced that in September of uh, 2023 they're going to be uh, migrating in the transition to stop the um, weed killer herbicide. Um, so what is going on in the world? In Europe Um, there's a regulation that is not enough. Uh, it's a uh, 1107-2019. It's a regulation from the, from the 2009 sorry, um, year. And it's very insufficient. Why is it insufficient? Because it doesn't uh, cover the risk of uh, the use of this herbicide in the European um, agriculture. This regulation lays down um, uh, in the instruments for placing effective uh, uh, plant protection products, like uh, the use of uh, um, herbicides or pesticides on the market that are safe for humans, animals, and the environment, while at the same time ensuring effective function of the internal market and improved agricultural production. So, last year, on April 2018, the Committee on the Environment, Public Health and Food Safety of the European Parliament requested an implementation report 
That is 600 pages if you want to read it. <laughs> it's available online. Um, and found um, that the above objective that I already mentioned, uh, while, while largely relevant to real needs, are not being achieved in the real practice. So um, the European committee, committee started like asking questions because many uh, NGOs mostly start making, um, like in Mexico said, they start putting the accent in the vowels because, um, all right, what is going on with the glyphosate? You know, like what is going on? We're uh, eating uh, cancerous food right now. Um, So what is shocking is that um, this uh, implementation report I was talking to you about, the 60 pages, has uh, one tiny uh, small paragraph of conclusions that says um, that it's okay, that the regulation, uh, it's okay, it's working, and they will not make any amend amendment. They only need to put it more in practice, and it's okay. Glyphosate is not killing people. So, um, at the end of the day, I mean, I don't know if the lobbies that push the European uh, committee are making, well, apparently they are making a great job because uh, we are still using glyphosate in food. We are still uh, finding glyphosate in, um, in many products of the chain supply and uh, food chain supply. And uh, it's kind of, kind of hard. What do you think? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, I disagree a little bit with you because um, uh, <laughs> to start <laughs> to begin with, uh, to come back to the Roundup and other pesticides, like uh, in the mixture, the other chemical that we we actually put are called uh, adjuvant, and they are actually making a, a, a possible reaction. Uh, when we use uh, those chemicals, this I mean, glyphosate is the uh, uh, active principle of the solution, and with the adjuvant, we can actually uh, uh, trigger this uh, the, the effects. But nevertheless, I think I believe uh, that we have uh, a problem in the study. We actually. Uh, we actually, uh, I mean, we, I mean, scientists actually <laughs> pursued, which is that they don't take into account, and it's also quite difficult, multifactory uh, causes. Um, there were uh, a study actually performed by the CREGEN, which is a French association uh, on ag agronomic uh, affairs, uh, issues, I would say, um, that actually said um, or stated observed that in most of the uh, study uh, it was only the active principle that were studied and not the whole mixture you know with the adjuvant and so perhaps there's a lack in the uh, scientific uh, um, data of studies with actually all the ingredients and all the, the adjuvants. So to see which one is the worst? Yeah or to see how it's actually contamination of project that can be harmful you know and perhaps it's also linked with the the i don't know like the type of water you drink you know and perhaps types of food you eat so i believe in that in that fact because i mean there's a consensus over glyphosate that if you use it in the actual and yeah, i'm saying actual condition of use 
which was not the case before because it has been sold with uh, advertisements like, yeah, yeah, you can drink it, uh, it's not harmful at all and stuff. It also has been sold into uh, developed or poor countries, I mean developing or poor countries without any technique, uh, protection. Without any security. Exactly. Yeah. So we clearly clear saw that it was harmful for people. We saw cancer and stuff. But in France, we had, I think, two, three years ago, a case with a young, um, a young mother uh, who actually, uh, uh, I mean, she was actually uh, putting uh, glyphosate, render pretty, on, uh, on a field. She was doing the treatment uh, and she was at the beginning of her pregnancy. And actually, when the baby uh, was born, Uh, he had um, malformation of the uh, esophagus and trachea, following by a significant, I quote, in utero exposure to glyphosate. That's what scientists, some scientists said. And now this child of only 12 uh, years old has already actually endured more than 51 operations. And he will continue to breathe through his uh, tracheostoma, at least until the end of his growth. So, uh, yeah, perhaps today he's 15. Uh, but those kind of uh, cases, they actually let me without voice. Because even though there is a scientific consensus, perhaps we are missing things. Perhaps scientists are missing things. Or perhaps it was, you know, like... A, The crossroad of many other things. Of many other things. Yeah. yeah. Um, but for me, I guess, now that I'm, I mean, it's been some years I'm interested in the subject. And I think that it's, uh, the glyphosate topic is a way, almost an unwanted way for lobby that are actually sending it to buy time. Because while we're talking about pesticide that should or should not be banned, that are or are not bad for health and uh, uh, the environment. We don't talk about the model itself. We don't talk about monoculture. We don't talk about... That's exactly GMO. what I was going to ask you. I mean, what do you think? I mean, do you think uh, we need to stop using... I think we need a transition. I think we need a transition so, so into a more when, natural when, uh, way to grow things. Yes, I mean, at least as possible, as much as possible, because with climate change, it's going to be harder. But we have a significant amount of, uh, of uh, information now about alternative way of actually grow food with uh, edges, agroforestry, permaculture. I mean, we have many things. So I think that we're lacking of uh, actually experiences on the... Uh, I mean, everywhere, in every country, and especially for those who actually have money. Uh, and when I hear a president saying that in three years or in five years, we're going to ban the use of glyphosate, I cannot trust him. I mean, I think that... We need to change the whole supply food, the food. Yes, but also if there is nothing, you know, if there is not any action that are following those statements. It's just impossible. 
the farmers they they, they can't actually change the because way they don't they know do. how to how to do it. Yeah, and they don't they have very, the time. Yeah, and they're they don't very have used the to that. They are very used to the technology that already. Uh, yeah, and they rely also on those on those on those huge projections because they don't know how the earth function actually. They don't know how to grow things. Some from some scratch. some of them know. I, I know actually uh, lots of people, uh, lots of farmers that that are interested in those uh, those techniques. But because they have to sell a certain amount of food if they want to 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 live properly. Yeah. Well, they are not changing, and also when they are older, you know, they are like five years away from uh, finishing. Cruel, <laughs> uh, so, cruel. Yeah, cool. I mean, so they they don't want. I mean, it's it would be. It would cost too much to actually change, but I mean, sometimes those farmers they use little amounts of glyphosate, you know. Also, so I think that the, this is like the question, the issue is really not only about glyphosate. It's about the model. It's about how we use, uh, how we plug the soils. I mean, plugging soils worked during the green revolution because the soils were actually lively. Today, it's like the most stupid thing we can do to soils. Actually, I think that it's killing be, the structure of the soil. You know, sustainable agriculture will be definitely a topic for another podcast. Yes, yes, <laughs> I think so. so. There are so many things. To yeah, say. there's so many things to say now. From from this episode, we have two new new topics for the rest of the year: antibiotics and sustainable agriculture um what do you think guys what do you think let us know on my social media twitter uh, alonso eli and uh Avric barret uh linkedin because <laughs> always <laughs> i haven't changed since so, christmas <laughs> so you can let us know what do you think about it and um thanks for listening to us thanks yeah, to, thank for you very much happy happy new year <laughs> yeah <Bye. laughs> <be late. laughs>